1: Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in B.C. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. First, though, we start with B.C.'s new pay transparency bill. So this is the law introduced by the NDP government will require employers to disclose their rates of pay uh, the government saying they want to eliminate the gender pay gap in british columbia according to stats can B- women in bc earn 17 percent less than men let's have a listen to kelly padden here parliamentary secretary for gender equity
2: discriminating based on gender is not legal in british columbia Highlighting the information that would potentially demonstrate that or demonstrate areas of the of opportunity to improve is critical.
1: Okay, some critics saying this doesn't go far enough. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Sonia First and now, leader of the BC Green Party. Very pleased to welcome Sonia back to the show. Sonia, thank you for coming on today.
0: Happy to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me.
1: Okay, thank you for doing that. What do you think of the bill that's been introduced by government here on pay transparency?
0: Yeah, so pay transparency is an important part of understanding what the gaps are when it comes to pay equity in British Columbia, but what it doesn't do is actually put a law in place that solves those gaps. So pay transparency legislation is is useful uh, for that data collection and for that clarity of understanding, but what we actually need to ensure that we get pay equity in BC is legislation around pay equity.
1: Right. So I'm taking a look at what the government has done so far here. So the way this, this works is employers, and this is going to be phased in, will be required to publicly disclose their gender pay disparity, right, or the gender pay gap. So how much are they paying their female men employees? How much are they paying their women employees? And this will all become public information. How How is that helpful, in your opinion?
0: well you know there's a there was an interesting thread on Twitter yesterday um that I came across that uh, had a woman saying that she noticed her employer had posted a job this wasn't in p c but her employer had posted a job that was paying thirty thousand more than the job she was doing, which was the same job uh and so that's an example of where transparency can uh benefit employees who can see if they are not being paid um, what others are being paid to do the same work in their company. But one of the problems we have with this legislation as well is that it's voluntary and there's no real mechanisms for enforcement. Mm. Uh, And, uh, you know, as much as I'd like to imagine the very best in people, you just had Galen Weston on saying that the profits were totally reasonable that they've been getting. Yes. I think that uh, there needs to be tools to ensure that uh, companies are actually following the, the the law, and that there are enforcement tools like fines if you don't do it. Um, I I really hope that this is a, a a first step from the BC NDP government, and that the next step and that it will come soon will be to introduce pay equity legislation. Ironically, they introduced equity pay equity legislation in 2001 right at the end of their period of being in government uh, before the Liberals came into power. And then the Liberals uh, repealed that legislation. So for a brief moment in British Columbia, we were there with the other provinces across Canada, Manitoba, Ontario, Quebec, PEI, that have pay equity legislation, but then it was gone.
1: (laughs) It is already illegal to discriminate in our province based on gender you heard the parliamentary secretary make that point so do women right now have a right like let's say let's say a woman feels that she's being underpaid you know has evidence that a man doing the same job is getting paid more is that grounds for a human rights complaint like can you go to the employment standards branch like is there any kind of remedy to that can you complain about it
0: yeah, you know, I, I I, mean, I guess that the, the transparency legislation will make it more possible for people to know if that is the case, but putting oh. the onus on individuals to deal with what is systemic uh, issues isn't the right way to approach this. So as you pointed out, you know, women uh, in BC make 86 cents for every dollar. Um, men tend to have higher paying uh, jobs overall. Um, and so it's. I think it's What we don't want to get into is now it's your your job as an employee to solve this discrimination. What we need is the legal structure, the, the structural change from the government to say, it's actually our responsibility as government to ensure that companies are operating in a way that doesn't discriminate against
1: anybody. How do you how do you do that? Like I'm just wondering how you achieve that type the type of pay equity that you're describing there legally through some sort of enforceable law or government mechanism because it just sounds like this would be extremely complex issue if you're going to say, okay, you've got two people, a man and a woman doing similar work or the same job, and one's getting paid more, but then you've got it. don't you have to start analyzing qualifications and experience and how effective the, the job performance is? And I, You know, how do you, start, how do you start figuring that out and enforcing it?
0: Well, I think we look to the other provinces that have pay equity. Again, Manitoba since 1985, Ontario, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, PEI, Quebec, all have pay equity legislation. And, uh, you know, this, the kind of transparency legislation that we have allows governments to to see that data. But I, I also just think if you put it into law that the expectation is you are not discriminating based on gender or race or anything else, uh, that may, is a very clear signal to businesses operating in British Columbia that this is the expectation, these are the laws, and you know, that's the the starting point is making it very clear. That's, you know, I think about this a lot about government's role in kind of what are the expectations for businesses and companies to operate in British Columbia, whether that is around pay equity, or whether it's around, uh, you know, how you meet the expectations around environmental regulations. uh, What is the nature of your workplace? Are you creating a healthy workplace, all these things. Government has this capacity to say, uh, these are the standards. And we're here to make sure that that everybody's living up to these standards because our job is to protect the well-being of British Columbians.
1: Right. But don't we already have that? I mean, it's already illegal in British Columbia to discriminate someone based on sex or gender identity. Like, I'm just taking a look right now at the BC Human Rights Code, and it, and it protects people. You are not allowed to be treated badly or denied a benefit because of your sex or your gender identity. And if you are, you can, you can file a complaint with the BC Human Rights Tribunal. So, how right. would a, so that's already illegal. There's already a mechanism to remedy it. So how would a, another law make it any well, better?
0: I'm looking at outcomes, Mike. So if we have uh, the widest pay gap in Canada, in BC, which we do, uh, between men and women... Uh, clearly we have uh, a a problem to be solved. And other provinces bringing in pay equity legislation have addressed that pay gap. So again, making it the individual's responsibility to address the discrimination that they might be experiencing because of unequal pay, which they may or may not know about because we, until two days ago, didn't have pay transparency legislation, is not the right way to do things. The right way to do things is to say, in this province, there is a law that you cannot pay somebody less uh, based on their gender or their race or any other form of discrimination. We don't have that law. And other provinces have had that law for a long time. And we have the widest pay gap in Canada. So I'm just looking at the outcomes that we get from not having that law. And it's 2023. I mean, I think it should just be not a hard thing to imagine that we can have a law that says in this province, we pay people equally for equal work.
1: Okay, we're following it closely to say the least. Thank you very much for coming on today. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Mike. Always a pleasure.
1: Okay, let's keep talking about the issue of pay equity in British Columbia. The B.C. government yesterday introducing that pay transparency bill on International Women's Day. Uh, employers would be required to disclose pay, trans, uh, pay equity gaps, uh, how much they're paying men, how much they're paying women in their, in their offices. Let's discuss now with Renee Merrifield, Liberal MLA, Kelowna Mission. Renee, thanks for coming on again.
2: No, thanks for having me. Great to be okay. here.
1: Okay, thanks for doing that. Do the Liberals support this bill?
2: Well, we are so glad that there is finally something and that we're making a step forward. Uh, We would have loved to see it a little different than what it is, but we're definitely uh, looking forward to getting into the details of what this bill is going to hold.
1: How would you like to have seen it done differently?
2: Well, the bad news is that we're one of the last provinces to bring in pay equity uh, legislation or pay transparency, as it now is under this uh, under this act. But the 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 good news about that is that there's so much to learn from other jurisdictions, and I do not see that reflected uh, in this bill. There's a you know no means of accountability, and right now, as the bill reads, it's up to each and every employer to post on their own websites what uh, their, their pay is. So, how, you know, we've got the burden on businesses. We've got privacy issues. Uh, an employee would actually have to mine the data themselves and go online and try and compare one company to another. Uh, and when we asked uh, the, the ministry about how this is going to be done, you know, they're only going to be reporting on trends. So really no data to, to actually give oh. it to
1: OK, so we've heard some the NDP government here in the last 24 hours or so taking some cracks at the at the liberals here and your criticism saying, well, the liberals repealed. We tried to bring in pay equity l- legislation in a previous government. And when the liberals got back into power, they repealed it. Sonia, first the leader of the B.C. Green Party just made the same allegation. Why did the liberals do that? Why did you guys repeal pay equity uh, provisions brought in by a previous government?
2: Well, Mike, one of the great parts about uh, having been newly elected in 2020 is that I don't uh, I wasn't a part of any of those decisions. But what I can say is that looking at the the legislation that was brought in but not yet enacted back in 2000 and 2001, um, what it was was a tattletale. Act. That's the best I could use. It really put the onus on a woman to go and to tattle on their employer if they weren't getting uh, fairly treated. This is actually, and an why we've brought in pay legislation and pay transparency legislati- legislation Six. Times as private members' bills is because there is a better way to do things, and there is a, a new found way. I, I mean, like I said, the bad part about uh, about BC right now is that they we're la- we're last in line. The great part is we can learn from other jurisdictions who are doing it well, and this is not that.
1: Who is which provinces are doing it well in your opinion? Like you know, we I just we just heard, learned that BC has got the widest pay equity gap in the country according to Sonia. First to know there are other provinces doing it better than us and how are they doing it briefly are we going on a minute
2: well there's only four that don't have pay legislation and we're one of them our act was actually uh, in the private members bill was actually brought in uh, under more of a uk uh, uh i guess standard uh the uk has been very successful in narrowing its gap and that's pay legislation that uh, that would be uh, one that has uh, a centralized and transparent data mining system where the government is actually responsible to mine that information so that you don't have employees that might be giving uh, incorrect information or might be pressured to give incorrect information. There's no um, pressure on a business. There's no increased burden. Uh, And we would actually see things moving forward, I think,
1: very well. Okay, we're following it closely. Thanks for coming on with your thoughts on it today.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
3: We have families that are struggling to buy food for their kids in this
1: country, in a G7 country. And they look at you and they see you making record profits. How can you justify that? It's a federal NDP leader, Jugmeet Singh, in Ottawa. They're going toe to toe with Galen Weston, the CEO of Loblaws. And the NDP leader there clearly determined to carve a strip off of this grocery store titan here. Galen Weston, man, Loblaw's profits through the roof right now, and so are the prices at Loblaw's and other grocery stores in Canada. Got Sylvain Charlebois standing by to discuss this testimony yesterday. Let's listen to one more highlight here first. So this is this is Jugmeet Singh versus Galen Weston, CEO of Loblaw's. Have a listen. We are actively
3: losing money on core commodities, um, you know, milk, vegetable oil, butter, uh, certain cheeses, um, and all kinds of items in every single, every, every day of the week. So we are working hard on behalf of Canadians. You've still not been able to answer this basic question Then when a family that's struggling right now looks at your profit, you know, how much profit is too much profit? How much is enough? Like you're making more than you've ever made ever.
1: Okay, let's discuss now with my guest, Sylvain Charlebois, Director of Agri-Food Analytics Lab, Dalhousie University, food professor on Twitter. You should absolutely follow him on there. Sylvain, thank you for coming on today. My pleasure. Okay, this was really interesting to watch this unfold yesterday in Ottawa, and I'm, I'm sure it was for you, too. So let's talk, first of all, about what we just heard there. You had Jugmeet Singh going after Galen Weston there, the head of Loblaws. And Singh, he kept saying, how do you justify, how do you justify these profits? How much is too much? Is that the right question to ask, like how much is too much?
4: Well, I, I thought a, a capitalist capitalistic economy would justify profits. Oh, yeah. Uh, the term I heard yesterday was excessive profits. Yeah. Uh, I have yet to see one person explain to me successfully what excessive profits actually mean. What is it, what's the difference between profits and excessive profits? Yeah. And and now we heard yesterday that uh, American chains, Costco and all Walmart will be joining the discussion around food inflation. These are American companies. I'd love to see them react to the term "excessive profits." <laughs>
1: yeah. Now they're being.
4: Are they going?
1: Are they going to testify this is, too? This is
4: how silly this 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 is, this is this is how silly things have become. I mean, this is Canada, not Cuba. I mean, people <laughs> are allowed to make a money now. If you look at the morality of selling food, let's talk about that. Sure. So, if you look at Loblaw's last quarter. Food sales went up 8.4% year-to-year year last quarter, okay? Food inflation is above that, at 10.4%. So Loblaws is treading water when it comes to food sales. It's making money selling drugs, selling lipsticks, and selling T-shirts. That's how it's making money.
1: Mm. Okay, that's an interesting point, and Galen Weston made that point there yesterday, too. Here, Let's play another clip here and get your thoughts. So here's more on, on Galen Weston, CEO of Loblaws here, saying that, look, you know, we're not gouging the public. We, we do offer low prices on lots of products. Here's what he had to say, then I'll get your thoughts.
3: We stopped $500 million of unjustified cost increases, um, you know, in our organization. We offer the lowest prices in the market in our discount stores like No Frills and Maxi. Uh, no Frills is recognized as having the most trusted prices in, in the country. We ad match uh, in our large store formats on every single ad that is available in the market. So the customers don't have to shop around
1: so I thought that was a, a fairly good moment for him when he talked about the ad matching. He's kind of like, well, what do you want? We're, if if an, our competitor is a lower price, we'll match their price. What did you think about what his performance there?
4: Well, a lot of it actually didn't make a whole lot of sense for consumers. I mean, he talked about managerial decisions uh, with cuts and things like that. I don't think people actually care about that. They care more about affordability and and, and price points at retail. And so uh yes the ad match comment was a good one. Yeah. But overall let's keep things into perspective. Canada has the, the still has one of the lowest food inflation rates in the world at 10.4%, okay? And the gap between inflation and food inflation is at 4.5% right now, which is about average. So we're doing actually better than most countries right now. The challenge And this is why I think inviting CEOs made no sense. The challenge is about competitiveness. Uh, We've seen Target coming in and out, uh, and and they left Canada. We saw Lowe's leave Canada, Sears, Nordstrom last week. Canada is a tough market to service. We have interprovincial barriers. We have the carbon tax, a huge fiscal regime, pretty heavy, huge labor laws. All these things are making Canada... An unattractive place to invest. Little and Aldi, for a very long time, have looked at Canada as a potent place to invest. They haven't yet because it's costing a lot of money to do business in Canada. Walmart bought Walco in 1994. It took them 30 years to open up 400 stores. They took it easy. They learned about Canada. But this is Walmart, the largest private employer in the world. And so for anybody else, it's stuff out there.
1: Yeah speaking of Sylvain Charlebois, Canada's food professor Dalhousie University, let me play another clip here for you from the testimony Sylvain, get your thoughts. so here are a couple of the other big heavyweights in the food the food sector in Canada so you're going to hear CEOs, grocery store CEOs Eric Lafleche and also Michael Medline here and they make the argument like look our input costs are going up too. have a listen.
3: Our revenues have gone up expenses have gone up margins have not gone up they've been stable f- for a long time and food margins have actually declined so that those are facts
1: then you go to packaging 10 up 53 percent pulp up 45 percent I'm not going to keep going on freight fuel labor every imported cost has gone up the price sir. of business is going up okay so they make the, they make the argument that the cost of them doing business is going up do they have a point
4: they do they do uh, a lot of people walk into the grocery store and when they see how it prices, they think it's the grocer's fault. <laughs> yeah. My goodness. The food industry is a complicated place from farm gate to plate. It's complicated. And like I said, it's a global phenomena. So I think it's a little unfair to uh, target uh, grocers and Galen and Weston and all these folks. However, and this is a big however, margins in Canada are double what they are in the U.S., If you look at Metro, Loblaws, and Sobeys, and you compare those margins with, say, Kroger and Albertsons, uh, ours are double. So it's been cozy a little bit, which is why competitiveness, I think, should be the focus for the committee. And how do we do that? The code of conduct. There was a lot of discussion last night about the code of conduct. That was a good one. I think it was important to talk about it. And what I saw last night was Sobeys endorsing unconditionally The code of conduct to protect independent grocers, to protect processors, and and create a fair uh, competitive landscape for everyone. Loblaws and Metro did not fully endorse the code. They actually had conditions, which really made me worried, to be honest. Because the code really is the one thing that could help us.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that point about the profit margins here in canada compared to the united states because maybe that was one of the the most interesting sort of comparators that we learned yesterday and so so how how do the grocery store ceos in canada justify that that their profit margins are so much higher than um, if their profit margins in the united states is there any justification or rationale for that
4: well, it's 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 the coziness. You know, back in 2014 mm. when Target announced it was coming into Canada, guess what happened to food prices? They dropped. Mm. For six right. months, they dropped. So you need a disruptor. And so yeah. we haven't seen a disruptor in a long time in Canada. We need a, a discount grocer. We need a new player. And yeah. in order to do that, you need to make Canada attractive again. If I can create a slogan for you, yeah. <laughs> make Canada attractive again. <laughs> yeah,
1: okay, I, I kind of like that, actually. Let's listen to another <laughs> clip here of uh, Jugmeet Singh, the NDP leader here, squaring off against Loblaw's CEO Galen Weston here. Here they are sparring about Loblaw's profits. Let's have a listen here.
5: On Canada's top grocery executives.
1: Grocery chain
3: profits um, are not the reason for food inflation. And as I mentioned... Profit be- is too I- much profit. Well, so a company needs some degree of profit. Um, Record you know, profits? Continue, more than to, you've ever Mr. made? Ever? I'm gonna, how much profit is too much profit? We're a big company, and the numbers are very large.
1: Okay, so he's <laughs> he says, like, well, hey, we're a big company here, so yeah, okay, we're racking up some big numbers here. But I guess Meet Singh keeps saying, well, how much is too much? Well, I'm not sure he's supposed to, how is a CEO supposed to answer a question like that? Like, aren't they supposed to make as much oh, money as they can? Isn't that the idea of running a business?
4: That That's exactly the point. Uh, I think the question should be, should be asked to Jagman Singh himself. Where's the line here? So you're talking about excessive profits. So what is excessive? What do yeah. you mean by that? Where's the line? If, if $1 is excessive, is that, if, if that's what we're talking about, then we should nationalize the entire system. And, and that's when we'll see a lot of companies like Costco and Walmart leave the Canadian market, and they'll leave us, and that's when food prices will go even higher. Thank you very much. Well,
1: well, I guess that Jugmeet Singh, if he was here right now, would say it's excessive when people can't afford to eat. Like he describes situations where families are going hungry. People are choosing not to buy food because it's too expensive. He says that's how he, he defines excessive. A- and his remedy for it is some sort of excessive profit tax. You know, that, does that make any sense to you? Like to put a tax on excessive profits?
4: You you, ta- you tax companies; they'll just leave the market. That's yeah. it's the best solution to make the 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 market less competitive. That's yeah. the problem that that's the problem with uh, with windfall taxes.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're following it closely, Sylvain, Thank you as always for your analysis. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care. <laughs> okay. Here we go now with the $55 million mystery here in British Columbia. Who won that big Lotto Max jackpot? It's been over a week now, $55 million. That was the jackpot and the Lotto Max. Someone bought the winning ticket on Vancouver Island. That's all that we have heard. That's all that has been disclosed in the municipality of North Saanich. So someone there bought that ticket, a $55 million winner. We still do not know who the winner is. It appears they have not come forward here. I guess there's a couple of explanations for that. Maybe they haven't checked the winning ticket yet, or maybe they know darn well they're the winner, and they're just lying low thinking about their next moves here. I've got Canada's Lotto Lawyer standing by, Greg Pang. First, let's have a listen to this report now from Global News reporter Kylie Stanton.
0: I heard that somebody won the big one. (laughs) So far, no one has come forward to claim the Lotto Max winnings,
2: totaling a whopping $55 million, setting a record for the biggest jackpot awarded on Vancouver Island. This is a life-changing amount of money. According to BCLC, the winner has 52 weeks from the date listed on the ticket to claim the prize.
5: And tickets are valid for one year after the draw date. So there's still some time for our winner to come forward.
1: Okay, let's discuss now with my guest, Greg Pang. Greg is a lawyer. He is known as Canada's Lotto Lawyer, jackpotlawyer.ca. Very pleased to welcome him back. Greg, thanks for coming on today. Well, thanks for having me again, Mike. Okay, Greg, $55 million, man. Boy, that's a nice payday. And so here we are a little more than a week later, still we don't know who the winner is. Is that typical in your experience if someone wins like a big, massive jackpot, they don't necessarily rush to identify themselves, maybe just sort of think things over before you go public? Well, Definitely. And they
5: might be, if they do know they're the winner, then they might be just getting their affairs in order. And that's one of my suggestions for lottery winners is that you talk to your financial planner or wealth advisor and make that plan. You know, take your time because you will keep that ticket safe first and take your time and make a plan for how you want to spend or use that money because you know, we all uh, could just have to Google uh, on, on lottery disasters or lottery nightmares on people spending all their winnings and you know yeah. and being miserable
1: for it, right? Oh, yeah. There have been some famous stories of people who win these huge lottery jackpots and it turns into a curse. You know, it's like the worst thing that ever happened for them. I think most people would prefer to take that risk and say, <laughs> try me, let's see how it works out for my life here. <laughs> exactly. But let me ask you this. So when, let's say someone wins the big one, okay, what would be... What, you, what is the first thing they should do, like, as a lawyer advising them? What's the first thing you should do if you win the big, big prize? Well, I think the first thing, the very first thing you should
5: do is sign your ticket. And this is the right. advice from all the lottery regulators. Sign that ticket. And then the second thing you should do that I would advise is that to keep that ticket safe. As Gandalf told Frodo in Lord of the Rings, keep it secret, keep it safe. So that's <laughs> number one. Yeah. And then number two, number two, and this might be this uh, whoever bought this ticket in North Sandwich, they have to keep in mind that, or maybe they're keeping in mind already, and they well know that they have one year to claim their winnings. Go to the BCLC right. office to claim their winnings, right? So yeah. you keep those things in mind, and then as we just discussed, you make that plan. You make that plan uh, to how you're going to use the money. Talk to your financial planner, wealth advisor, whatever. And if you have maybe some legal issues or anything like that, talk to a lawyer. It doesn't have to be me. Talk to a lawyer who can advise you on that. You know, you might be a perhaps a, in, in some kind of uh, divorce dreams or plan to get divorced or something like that. Uh, you might be a vulnerable person or maybe something ridiculous, like you have a secret family or something like that to completely complicate things. <laughs> but <laughs> hope not. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, but, so you, you, you know, keep it secret, sign it, keep it secret, keep it safe, you know, uh, f- make that plan and uh, perhaps consult a lawyer.
1: Okay. So let's say whoever has won this lottery, is it possible that the winner does not know. Maybe they haven't checked the ticket. Maybe they've lost the ticket. Oh, my goodness. How tragic would that be? It has happened, right? Like there there have been big jackpots that have gone unclaimed, I believe, right?
5: Yeah, and that's completely possible. I had one time, I think it was two years ago, I had two different people uh, come to me uh, and uh, you know, request a consultation because one of them thought that they might have the winning ticket and they put it in their pocket and washed their pants.
1: So, oh no. So, oh, yeah. no. so no way. Like, and then. Uh, oh, did we lose Greg? I don't hear him now. Greg is still there. Did we lose him? Okay. We lost, we lost Greg there. We're going to try and reconnect with him here. Now, here's what I want to do right now. We'll get Greg back here in a moment if you won the big one, what would you do with the money? This is what I think a lot of people dream of. You get that 50, $55 million. Can you imagine that? What would you do with the money? Let's have a listen to people talking about that. After this big $55 million win, someone won. Okay, we got Greg back. Okay, Greg, welcome back. Sorry about that. I'm not sure, not sure what happened there. Okay. I thought maybe you won the lotto and won the jackpot and you were checking out on us there, but that's okay. So let's talk about, um, so you've got a year to claim the money. When you eventually do go to claim that money, that big jackpot, are you required to publicly disclose your identity or can you go to the lottery corporation and say, Hey, look, I don't want all this publicity. Can we just keep this? Can you just give me the money and keep it quiet? You have to disclose your identity, right? The general rules out there for the two big ones, you know, like uh, I can speak to
5: the, the Lotto Max and the 649 is, yes, there might be some differences in Lotto Quebec, but I can't speak to that one. But generally, yes, you have to disclose your identity, meaning your name, your real name, your uh, your hometown uh, of residence, and you have to agree, you have to let them take a photo of you. So those are the three yeah. names.
1: Yep. Right. So you have but- to you have to do that. I know there have been some circumstances in the past where people have requested an anonymity for some good reasons in the past but typically you must disclose your your identity here when you when you claim this money. What about let's say the winner here of this 55 million, what if it was one of those group tickets, you know, if you're in a lotto ticket pool and you all throw in at the office every week, everyone chips in a few bucks and now you've won the big one and you have to share that money out. Does that, that can get dicey, can it not? I mean, there have been some disputes in the past of people who end up going to court and fighting each other over a share of the money. Like, what if you forgot, what if you put in, like, you threw in your toonie every week for years, and then the week that you win, you forgot to put your toonie in, then what?
5: Yeah, that could be that particular scenario you talk about, Mike, that can be particularly <laughs> troubling and oh, yeah. right can lead to fights. And I've had those calls before where there have been fights over. It's like, am I part of this group or not? Um, is this a, a subscription deal where I just keep throwing in and then we just use the money once a week or is there, is it a condition of being part of this group is that I must throw it in. Otherwise I disqualify myself from that week's buy of that ticket. Right. And of course you, you being, if that was the case and if that ticket ended up being a winner, then you, you might be excluded from the winnings of it or your share of the winnings. So it could be uh, kind of tricky there. And uh, I, I suggest that I think in the WCLC website and maybe in the BCLC website, there are group buy forms. Yes. And then you can set out who is part of this group and you can even add some conditions or whatever and set out some rules. And I know at one office I worked at, someone was very anal about that because uh, they were part of a group by before where they ran some of these uh, issues. So they really hammered out these, uh, you know, these, these rules of participating. Um, and I don't think anyone ever won anything big, but you know, it, was, it was a good idea.
1: Yeah, I think it's not a bad idea to make it crystal clear that you're in the group and get some clear rules on it. If you, if you forget to throw in your money one week, I mean, maybe still part of the pool. Just make it super clear from the start. And then there are no hard feelings or fights later on. So let me, let me ask you this, Greg, for whoever this person is or people who have won the 55 million, if they came to you, if they went to jackpotlawyer.ca and said, Greg, I need some advice. What would your advice be to them with the, with the money? What would you do with that money?
5: Well, I think in terms of what to do with the money, I would have to defer to the you know the financial their financial planner or wealth planners in terms of what to do with the money itself. Yeah. Now, if they have a situation where, as I mentioned, you know, like there's some kind of legal issue or something that could potentially complicate the claim itself, then I can uh, potentially assist them with that kind of issue. To uh, and even. Perhaps a system, because there's always an investigative process, right? Because the regulator has to make sure that you're their real claimant and they have an investigator that gets, gets assigned and it could take a while. I can help them navigate them through that kind of process because uh, it could be, unfortunately, it could be kind of stressful. You know, you, you think you have oh, the yeah. money. And but then you have this investigator making phone calls and asking for an interview, and they might be an ex-cop or something like that. And you feel like you know, like you've done something wrong, <laughs> but you know. So it's it's one of those things that those are a couple of a few of the things I can help
1: with. Do them. do people in, in your experience in working in working with people who've won a big pot of money? Do people typically like scammers come out of the woodwork looking for money, or long lost relatives suddenly knock on your door asking for a loan? I mean, is that a problem typically for people? Oh, my God, Mike. Uh, yeah, like I mentioned, like wait,
5: I uh, alluded to before, all I have to do is go Google, like, lottery nightmare, lottery win nightmares. Uh, yeah. And yes, yes to all of that. And i like to just quote something. I just wrote this down beforehand. Uh, it's um, a winner uh, from 2007 in the States of a. $315 million Powerball. I, I can't even that kind of amount of money. Now, I'll quote here. Quote, I think if you have something, there's always someone else that wants it. I wish i
1: torn up that ticket, unquote. Oh. That just says it all right there, right? Wow. Wow, they'd wish they'd torn up a $300 million winning ticket? <laughs> Gee whiz. Okay. Yeah,
5: I, I, I can't imagine what he's gone through to be have to say something like that. I just cannot imagine that.
1: Okay. All right. Greg, who knows? Maybe this winner is going to call you today and look for advice if they haven't called you already. They haven't called you, have yeah, they? Yeah, who knows?
5: Hopefully. <laughs> I cannot confirm nor deny. <laughs> okay, all right. But hopefully they have talked to their financial planner as well, and they're getting their affairs in order. And if they have something, they can call me or, or another word that can help them. So,
1: Greg, thanks for coming on today. Thank you.